The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer, and this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And today we're going to be talking about the transformational nurse. Uh, As nurses, we all start out with the same basic information, skills, and a varying level of experience. What fascinates me is the directions individual nurses choose from that foundation. Education, what kind, and when. Decisions such as, do I stay at the bedside, move into leadership, how about the executive decision-making level, Uh, national or international? What about lecturing or research, entrepreneur, consulting? And oh my gosh, truly, I think the list is endless. So today's guest is Dr. Kathleen Ziegler-Halverson, who is a visionary leader with 25 years of experience in a wide variety of roles and focuses. She's a strong nurse and promotes nursing strongly. I am eager to welcome her here today. Kathleen, would you like to tell us a little bit about how you got into nursing and um, just kind of a quick summary of of your journey. Sure. Thank you, Leanne. And thank you so much for um, having me as a guest presenter today. I'm, I'm thrilled to share my journey with all of the nurses that are listening, and hopefully something will resonate with all of you. I grew up in, in St. Paul, Minnesota, and went to school at Mankato State University and, and actually joined the military through ROTC. I was the first uh, Army ROTC student that went through at Mankato State University now. University of Minnesota, Mankato, served in the military for eight years and got out as a captain in the Army Nurse Corps, and that started my nursing career. Did a variety of nursing-related activities, specifically nursing administration, for about half of my career. And then the other half of my career, I used my nursing education and experience to advance nursing in a variety of other ways through um, Uh, Pfizer Pharmaceutical, using ethical pharmaceuticals to enhance uh, patient care and quality of life issues, and through Herman Miller in evidence-based design and increasing uh, the effectiveness of how design affects patients and the care of patients in the acute and and, uh, non-acute settings. And then also um, my nursing skills through some startup organizations or small companies in designing clinical and nursing curriculum to help with clinical quality and patient safety issues, among others. Yeah. As I'm hearing you thinking, I'm thinking of other uh, guests that I've had on that I really need to connect you to. uh, And I will do that later. So one thing that I am curious about is with the military, when you went there, I'm guessing you were probably a bedside nurse in, in that time period? Well, the interesting the interesting thing about Army nursing or any kind of uh, military nursing is that you do start off at the bedside, but the leadership starts from day one. And so I would, I would say that I was heads and tails above my peers on the outside of right. uh, military nursing. That was going to be my second question is how soon does leadership training 
start because I assume they want to make sure that everybody has that, whether you actually take a leadership role or not. Everyone needs to be an individual leader. You know, uh, today I'm leading, tomorrow I'm following. You're exactly right. And as a nurse in the military, it's an all baccalaureate program. So you don't have a variety of different nurses. And it's probably, uh, uh, I don't know this for fact, but probably the most intensive nursing uh, prepared uh, aggregate of nurses in any industry that I've seen because they start with an all baccalaureate program Mm -hmm. and then another third of those have their master's and another third of those have their doctorate degree. And so uh, day one, you start as an officer and you are leading other organizations and individuals in care delivery. So the thing, I don't want to spend a lot of time, but um, one thing I have talked to nurses about before in this show is to, uh, especially when you're coming out of a baccalaureate program, to make sure that the orientation is excellent and that you get uh, an opportunity to say when you feel like you're done. Uh, I, probably not so much in the military, but definitely in nonprofit areas. It might be your orientation is a week or two weeks, whether you need more or not. Um, I like it when they uh, set up something with a preceptor, so you're with somebody else and maybe start out watching that person's care, then doing the care with them, and then ultimately that person watching you. Um, There's a lot of ways of doing it, but I always try and encourage new nurses, especially from the baccalaureate programs, to make sure they are getting enough experience to feel confident. So often now is they have competency-based you know, training. And so it's a matter of, you know, seeing and doing with a preceptor. And even when you're you're on the floor doing new things, if you haven't really um, shown the competency in that, you know, right. it's, it's a continual learning opportunity. So once you were out of the military and you started to have an opportunity, obviously you did a lot of school. So how did you decide what school and when? Well, I always, <laughs> I always knew I wanted to get my doctorate in something, actually from an early age, even when I was in high school. And I aspired to that, didn't know what it would be in. But uh, even in my nursing roles, I had a great appreciation for those at the bedside, certainly wanted to learn those skills. But I felt like um, I was driven to lead. And in doing so, that meant that I had to advance my degrees to do that. And so when I was in the military, I looked for an opportunity to get a master's, and it was a master's of science and health administration. And it was the only real uh, advanced degree that was available where I was located, which was Fort Benning, Georgia. And so I I got my master's uh, in healthcare administration at Columbus State University. Mm -hmm. And so when you went into it, did you know what you wanted to do with it? Or was that, let's get it and then figure it out from there? I think there's a little bit of both of that. But I think what I noticed early on in my nursing career is that, I don't know if it was a level of frustration, but nurses have always seemed to have um, the issue of workarounds. Like there are individuals making decisions that are impacting nurses and nurses have to find ways to work around poor decision-making. And exactly. in order to help change, to make better decisions, you have to have a seat at the table, which means you have to be 
um, in a position of, I don't want to say authority, power, could be in, um, influential power, but you have to have some credibility behind that, which is one of the reasons why I got my, my both my uh, master's and my doctorate degree, so that I could inform policy mm-hmm. and make better decisions for nursing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is this builds on previous um, discussions that we've had too. Uh, one with um, um, my brain just went dead. Catherine uh, McDonald, and uh, she was uh, promoting people to go onto boards. And um, another nurse that I had on here, another Catherine. We've got a lot of Catherines here. Um, Todd, Catherine Todd had talked about how. Uh, somewhere earlier in her practice, she had uh, sat in on a board to deliver some information to them, and uh, they were discussing things before she they got to her, and it was kind of like, well, we'll just cut uh, a chunk out of that whole uh, department, <clears throat> and don't worry about it. The nurses always work out, figure out how to make it work, and her eyes were bulging out of her head and saying, well, I am a nurse. I have experience in that area. Let me tell you what happens when you do that. And they just totally, um, it was kind of like patting her on the head, nice little nurse, but you don't really know what you're talking about. And so at that point, she decided she was going for an MBA, and she did that along with her master's program. Uh, Just, I thought it was amazing. But now when I think about it, it's very true that if nurses want to actually take control of nursing, and not be constantly told this is who you are and what you will do, etc. Um, we have to have the education and probably research behind what we're doing. So Absol- the evidence-based. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, as you were going along, how much of the decisions you were making, maybe go into some of the different ones like uh, Pfizer when you went there. What were some of the things that uh, moved you in that direction? Because a lot of us would think, wow, pharmacology, I wouldn't even have thought of going into that as a nurse. So the previous role I was in uh, was in a hospital in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the CEO at the time had said, we're going to do uh, with more with less individuals. And less is more was the new key phrase, and less is more was not good for patient care, and less is more was very dangerous. And it was actually right about the time uh, the Institute of Medicine came out with crossing the quality chasm, and system design was, you know, the Swiss cheese effect where things were just falling um, through the holes, holes and and patients were being affected by that. And I just said, you know, I I really would like to do something different. I'd like to impact patient care, uh, but not through that lens right now. And so with a nursing degree, you can do all kinds of things. And so through my nursing lens, if you think about pharmaceutical sales, they say sales, but it really is, it's, it's about a conversation. It's about a transfer of confidence. It's about taking that nursing knowledge that we do so well in educating and, 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 talking to people about healthcare and disease and, and healthcare prevention, using that to improve the care delivery on a outpatient, inpatient standpoint, using ethical pharmaceuticals instead of actually inpatient care. So if you think about it, you can reduce the utilization of healthcare resources through a, through a medication. Not always, because sometimes they're very expensive. Um, you can impact at quality of life and um, 
lifestyle changes by the use of a, phar- uh, a pharmaceutical agents. And let me just give you like Aricept for Alzheimer's disease is, is one that comes to mind. And I used to always say that um, you can take the highway, the freeway, and get from point A to point B if you're not on anything. And you can actually, it's not going to prevent the disease from happening. Or you can take the, the scenic byway with the medication and you have extra years of life, of quality of life. And so that's some of the, the pearls that you can get. The, the diagnosis of disease like depression and anxiety and, and other things. Uh, that brings up... <laughs> A sore point for most nurses and probably a lot of doctors is that whole aspect of price. And I think all of us understand that, yes, you're doing a lot of research and depending on what the product is, if it's not going out to a huge number of people, uh, the cost has to be more to to cover whatever it is that they're doing. Um, Did you feel like you had any say at all or you had... um, uh, do you feel like you were more comfortable with the prices that were being put on things? Uh, or did you feel like sometimes that wasn't uh, appropriate? So I was I was very successful with Pfizer and it wasn't because I was I was selling drugs. I was selling buy this drug or I was actually partnering with the clinicians with the whole uh, clinic or or hospital or pharmacy and saying, what are your challenges? What are your, you know, um, obstacles? How can we work with you through the resources that we have to help meet your objectives? Mm-hmm. And, and I think I don't set the prices on, on drugs and formularies and things like that. But uh, there's a lot of patients that have a lot of different formularies and insurance companies that these products were on and are covered. So, uh, Certainly, moving forward, they're, they need to take a deep, long look at <clears throat> the cost of pharmaceuticals. And say, yeah. if you were queen of the world, what do you think would be a better way of handling specifically pharm- pharmaceuticals than what we are doing? And you can say, can't do that. <laughs> you know, I don't. You know, I've been on both sides. So if you think about it, uh, if there wasn't incentive, one of the figures that's probably much more now is. For every one drug that comes to market that's a success, there's probably at least 20 more that they've paid for that never came to a success. And it costs probably over, I want to say, $900 million to bring one product to market. And so if you think about that investment, if you didn't have a commercial market that was willing to do that, the government probably would not be pouring money into these life-saving drugs. So, you know, I... I promoted drugs that literally saved people's life from, you know, from infections and things like that. We wouldn't have those. People would, you'd have more deaths. Um, And so, uh, you know, I think, I think it helps uh, in the long run. And in fact, in the long run, really from um, once they go off patent, then they're available to everybody in a generic formulation. So. And how long is that? How long does it take for that? I want to say eight or nine years, I think. Once so they come, have a window to work, of time they to do. really make back what they uh, made on it. And then after that, it's... And do those companies say, like Pfizer, did they make generics of their own product? I don't believe they did at the time, but that, as I exited, mm-hmm. you know, that part of my career, there were organizations that were starting to do that. They mm-hmm. had their own generic company. So when one went off of... Mm-hmm. Um, 
their brand name that they would then produce the generic. Equivalent. The other question I have, and you may not know this one either. It's a while ago. I was, what I was <laughs> My thinking career, of so. is um, drugs like thalidomide that uh, caused uh, great defects in um, uh, newborns. And uh, they were given, originally they were being given to uh, mothers for uh, anti-nausea and relaxation, etc. And if they took them in the early stages of that, they would um, have babies without arms or without legs or some really tremendous um, uh, disabilities. So what I've been hearing more lately, probably in the last 10 or 15 years of how they're trying to look at drugs they worked on years ago that didn't work for whatever they were working on it for, and then looking at could it be used somewhere else. And I remember hearing that thalidomide was one that was then started to be used for cancer. And it's like, oh my gosh, who would have thought? I mean, obviously, uh, it would be very rare for a woman to be taking a cancer, cancer therapy and be pregnant. And so it would be a much safer use where it would be very unlikely that that kind of an effect could happen. Did you see any of that at Pfizer? You know, they were constantly doing research and they were the number one pharmaceutical company uh, when I was working for them. And, you know, certainly all that research and all the safety requirements through the FDA adds to the cost as well of, you know, any drug that comes to market. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that's probably enough of that. Well, I was just going to say, you know, a great example, Viagra actually was a great example of that is when it was under research, it was literally looking at cardiac, um, oh, really? blood pressure and other cardiac uh, effects. And one of the side effects was erections. <laughs> so actually they, they turned the page on that. Uh, well, that worked out pretty well. <laughs> uh, we're due for a break here. So let's go ahead and take that at this time. Uh, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm here today with Dr. Catherine, Kathleen ziegler Halverson, and we're talking about um, the transformational nerves. So come back on the other side of the break, and we have more to discuss. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv. Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has a mobile app for iOS, Android, or Amazon Kindle. Visit the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives, but most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Yes, and I'm glad to be back here with Dr. Kathleen Ziegler Halverson. Uh, seems like my tongue doesn't want to wrap around that one. Uh, we've been talking about the transformational nurse, and uh, uh, I'm going to call you Kathleen, that I won't have to trip on Halverson. Um, Kathleen has just had a variety of different uh, experiences and used her education. She has a doctorate. Uh, and being able to go in a lot of different directions. And I'm thinking if, if I am a nurse that has done experience at the bedside and thinking, mm, don't know if I want to be here for the rest of my career, um, what would be, you know, and especially if I don't know which direction to go uh, from there, what would be my first steps? Well, I think it's really important to really understand what you do well and what, where your passion lies. It's, um, and what kind of experiences have you had? Which ones maybe would you like to explore further? What kinds of things do you like to do? Do you like to do project work? Do you like quality and patient safety? Do you like customer service? Do you like to um, um, lead and manage? And these can be all directions on additional experience that can help form um, a positive path a path that gives you additional opportunities to gain skills and competencies and knowledge, which can help you further um, lead you on a way of you know, real success and legacy in a nursing career. So some of these things, it's when I was thinking about, what do I want to do? I had been married. I was in the military. My husband was in the military. We both got out of the military, and we moved, and I happened to be a second income. 
and did not always uh, take the job that would look so purposeful on my career as an advancement. So I took the opportunities that were available in a variety of areas. But what I did, I did it consciously in doing something differently so I could learn skills and experiences, knowledge, um, expand the breadth of leadership, expand the breadth of uh, my working knowledge, not just in nursing, but the whole system in its collective, you know, healthcare delivery. So if you're just, I don't want to say just, but if you're working on an inpatient basis, maybe you want to look at expanding some of your knowledge in another area of that inpatient or looking at uh, collectively grabbing some experience in the outpatient setting. And there's a variety now. And so if you think about change, Change is happening everywhere in healthcare, and what we know about the future is that healthcare delivery is not going to be happening in the acute care space. And so, really, if you're thinking about what is the future going to need of nursing, the future of nursing is really going to be uh, more holistic care, preventative care, care that's at home, care that's convenient, care that can be accessed. Uh, through ease, whether that's by computer or smartphone or tablet or in person, but it it might be, you know, in your neighborhood. You know, we just, it's changing so fast and uh, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for nursing to do a variety of different skills. Actually, that whole idea of, you know, when you're in that uh, uh, time of phenomenal change. It's a great opportunity for those that have great ideas and they would like to be a part of making the new direction. Um, And so being able to seek out what is happening, what's going on uh, kind of behind the scenes or hasn't quite been ready for prime time yet, uh, finding out what's going on and seeing if maybe you could have some uh, input to some of those things. Sometimes um, educational. A lot of us, uh, we used to have the saying that uh, those that can do and those that can't teach. Well, that has gone way by the wayside <laughs> to a large extent because uh, there's so much in the teaching um, area that uh, has gotten into much more technological training where those that are teaching it really have to be pretty skilled, not only in experience with dealing with patients, but in experience with dealing with technology. And we all know how fast technology changes. So being uh, prepared to take whatever new direction comes, um, just I I felt like, uh, especially in obstetrics, about the time I got comfortable on Uh, one procedure or one um, company, say, uh, an internal fetal monitor device, uh, about that time they changed to some other device. And uh, it would be somewhat similar, but it would have its own different um, aspects of it. So those who are staying at the bedside still need to be keeping aware of what some of the changes are and what do they need to know uh, to keep ahead of what's happening. Uh, One thing you were talking about is management, and um, what I felt like a lot of times through the years is that people who got moved into management were the people who are excellent nurses at the bedside, and that does not, you know, the same skills to be a good nurse at the bedside does not necessarily transfer to being a good manager, and the other problem with it was that I found a lot of times uh, there wasn't a lot of extra Uh, uh, training toward 
what is a manager, what's different about being a manager as opposed to being a cohort nurse uh, working together. And so I'm sure that that is probably changing to some extent, but I think it's probably more that nurses can step up and say, I feel like I have an ability to do some leadership or perhaps in my nursing school or in various places I've been, uh, people sought me out as a natural leader. Uh, I'd like to pursue that. And so I really encourage people also to think in terms of uh, what have I developed? Maybe not what the skills I had when I went into nursing school, but what are the skills I've developed in the meantime? And um, what are your thoughts about that? I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's changing so fast. I think everyone needs to have their mind and an openness to lifelong learning. Uh, change is constant. That is really the only constant that we know right now is change. And, and when you think about your career and you think about what you want to do and the possibilities, you have to be proactive on that. You can't wait for somebody to tell you, you know, you might want to consider doing this. Although I think that's that's great and you should take that coaching from uh, others that know you best and, and for those that Uh, you work with and work for, but to be proactive in your own uh, learning, and that's, you know, personal or professional, how do you go about looking for opportunities within your own organization? Do you, are you the one that uh, volunteers for project work or committees or something different? Someone needs some help here uh, and you either have an interest or you have a little bit of an expertise where you can expand your your influence to other people. And I think there's lots of ways in which you can do this uh, every single day if you're looking for those in your own organization. But also there's a, just a plethora of opportunity if, if you're looking from a volunteer standpoint. Another um, nonprofit organizations or even organizations, professional organizations, whether it's your own state organization, international organization for nursing or school organization. I serve on a lot of boards and a lot of committees, and those are all volunteer, at least so far. They're not paid gigs, so but you learn a lot and you increase your network of individuals that you get to know that can also share their knowledge with you so you can gain it um, easily the more you're involved, I think. I've also had people talk about, uh, even if they want to be at the beds night, uh, to do like a SWAT position or a float position where you're going to lots of different floors, especially if you're not quite sure what area of nursing you really are especially interested in. Um, for many people, being in that situation gives them a better idea. Like I've, I've talked to a lot of people who said no way in hell they would want to be in an ER or um, ICU or, uh, you know, post-op coronary or, or some of those uh, areas that are pretty high risk, high um, uh, difficulty patients. And yet, <clears throat> by floating around and getting some experience there, they could feel themselves there. They could feel the excitement that they were getting in being in those areas. Many times, those areas can be a young person's area because all that adrenaline does take a toll, too. Um, but one of the things that happens to a lot of nurses is injuries. Um, We put our all into everything we're doing. And so almost anywhere we work, there is that possibility of injury. Do you have any thoughts about that? If somebody's coming up in um, uh, going along, doing something they really enjoy doing, and then suddenly they're finding injuries stand in their way? 
Well, I think that happens. I, you know, obviously prevention is the number one thing that we can all do and make sure that we're using great body mechanics so we're not injuring ourselves or others. However, if that happens, you know, you could count it as a blessing because now you can absolutely look at different opportunities that you would maybe not have otherwise looked at to advance your skills. I mean, uh, nurses have tremendous amount of skills and abilities and knowledge and expertise, and I think they're just kind of scratching the surface, surface on it. And if you think about all the ways in which you can use your education and knowledge and expertise uh, in different ways, if you think about how can this be innovative, how can what I know be disruptive because right now we need people to think differently in in nursing and nursing care and the delivery of care and the the advancement of care delivery so if you can think about how do I how can I use the the gifts that I've been given and the talents that I've been given in in a different way to transform the world that we live in. Can you think of an example of that? Sure. So one of the one of the opportunities I had, I worked for a company called Vital Simulations, and it was a startup company, and we ended up creating Xbox 360 kind of gaming, healthcare quality, uh, patient um, um, games to and the, which use clinical pathways, evidence based medicine, evidence based guidelines, to prevent pressure ulcers or falls or medication adherence. And it was a fun way and and a marketing term called sticky, you know, it's sticky because you remember it, you go through and you get coins and So this would be for the nurses to train? For the nurses to train. And so, you know, able to use my nursing skills and my knowledge to create these gaming scenarios that nurses could then learn and learn in a fun and engaging way Mm -hmm. that they remember it and so it's one example so much for your mother saying stop playing on that game you're never going to be able to use that right (laughs) and more and more even in in surgery there are uh the da vinci robots and i'm sure that's even an old one i'm sure there's been many that have uh the cyber knife kinds of things that uh are just uh, really there that a lot of doctors, young doctors particularly, who were very, very good, very skilled on playing some of these games have learned techniques and skills that they can use now in the operating room. But don't get me wrong. Should you love to love doing what you like to do it from your nursing standpoint, you want to be where you are, there are opportunities in your expertise right where you're right where you are. And I think um, the the recommendations and suggestions I give all early careerists in nursing is if you spend some time in the ICU, the ER, or, or taking care of trauma patients, take care of the toughest to treat patients. You can go and do anything with your nursing background because you've taken care of the toughest patients that you're going to see. And I think that's really wise advice, even if you, you don't spend a long time there. Mm-hmm. And especially in areas like that, it tends to be people who are really good problem solvers. Uh, Oftentimes you have uh, expense uh, uh, limitations where they want you to uh, be very careful with equipment and materials that you're using, et cetera. And I think nurses are incredible at coming up, like you had said, workarounds uh, to make things work that you wouldn't ever think could work. And especially where I've heard of that is nurses that have gone into missionary work and have had to deal with almost nothing. So they're, they're maybe taking some... Resourceful. Yeah, very resourceful. Um, but I all think, kinds of things. I think with ICU, ER, you're taking 
the toughest to treat patients that walk through the doors of a hospital, it really hones in on critical thinking skills, which you need throughout your whole career. I keep hearing about, and you mentioned, touched on it a little bit about how um, in the future, probably uh, nursing care may not be very much inpatient. It may be um, using technology in other ways. So can you describe any kind of a situation and, and what kind of, te- how would that work? Like if I was a patient at home and I can't come into the office, how might uh, a nurse using technology be able to work with me? So this is already being done. I mean, we've seen it for quite quite some time with um, uh, Walgreens or Target you know, minute clinics and the CVS clinics where, you know, it's no longer people, people are having the Walgreens or the CVS or, or other, uh, the little clinic, or there's lots of different um, clinics that are versions of it that are now housed in uh, grocery stores and retail stores, pharmacies and that Um, the innovation, uh, you know, who would have thought years ago that pharmacists would be giving your flu shots for heaven's Mm -hmm. sakes, you know, but the care model is expanding. And right now we're seeing telemedicine, there's E-ICU. So there are physicians, intensivists that are monitoring ICUs around the country from a central mm-hmm. hub location. Or even around the world. Yeah. Um, you've got, they're even paying for it now from a um, payment standpoint on e-visits. So you can mm-hmm. talk to your doctor online with your phone, do a, a visit like that, and that's covered. Not, maybe not all payers, but mm-hmm. it, that's being covered already. So you yeah. can see that this has been changing, is is changing, and it's going to continue to change. Yeah, I was thinking even from like my chart and things like that, where you can actually communicate better with your own uh, physician or with the physician's nurse and be able to carry on a conversation even without going on the phone. And then maybe uh, a decision is made to order a medication that you don't actually have to come into the office to be seen. But especially if you've had the same problem again and again, where the physician feels comfortable um, uh, ordering that medication for you and all you have to do is pick it up. You don't have to be making when you're very sick and not wanting to be out and about. So Zipnosis and Virtuel are two other examples of online clinics as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be even more that we haven't even thought of yet. So um, we are at a break time, so we're going to go ahead and take a break. We're talking about the transformational nurse, and I'm here with Dr. Kathleen Ziegler-Halverson. And um, we will be back in just a couple of minutes. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. If you like what you're hearing on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, consider supporting the show. In the one year since the show started, we've increased our listening audience by nearly 7,900% and our goal to reach 50 countries and counting. Whether you are looking to reach a regional, national, or worldwide audience, you'll have a competitive advantage by advertising on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. It's the perfect platform. Contact senior executive producer Tacey Trump today at 480-294-6421. That's 480-294-6421. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. 
Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Thanks so much for staying with us and coming back uh, for our third segment. Um, this is Leanne Meyer, and um, we are talking about transformational nursing. And I'm talking with Dr. Kathleen Ziegler-Halverson, who has done a phenomenal amount of this in, in her career. Um, one of the things that I was wondering about or we were talking about is, uh, is transformation in nursing only a physical thing where you're physically moving to a different type of nursing, uh, a different area of nursing, a different focus of nursing, or could there be other types of transformation? What are your thoughts about that? I think there's all kinds of different ways of transformation. It just depends on the perspective in which you're looking at the care and um, the efforts that you have every day in your job, your standard work, how can that change? How can you look at it differently? How can you reduce the steps to make it more efficient? How can you streamline it? Um, So it correlates with evidence-based medicine or standards of care practice. And so you can be transformational right where you are. You don't have to do anything different. Some of the ways in which I've used some of these skills is I'm a green belt, lean six sigma project manager. And I look at reducing waste. Waste is 30 to 40% of healthcare dollars are spent on waste. Uh, Don Berwick, uh, he was uh, the former president, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, 
he looked at that. And so if you think about, can we get rid of 30 or 40% of waste by just looking and redesigning and rethinking how we do our standard work, the work we do every day uh, at the job that we love in nursing, you can reduce a lot of that. So what would you do with all that money that's saved? You know, you'd have more time at the bedside. You might have more nurses to deliver care. You might be able to deploy other individuals to do new work, create new opportunities to advance nursing care. Maybe that's through research. Maybe that's through pilots. Maybe it's through um, more clinical training. It could be a lot of different things. But looking at some examples are from a waste perspective. How many, how many times, how many steps does it take you to do a task? Start counting up the steps, you know, or... Um, how many crash cart items do you have in your crash cart? You know, and never use. And never use. So you think about the waste of expired products. That I could go down. I could go on for a long time mm-hmm. on that. But say you have 300, 300 different items. Could you standardize that and you know make it two hundred? And you're saving on buying the extra hundred. You know, from buying the extra hundred, and then streamlining that every single cart has certain things and. Uh, you're reusing these so things don't expire. There's just a lot of ways. To that. How many times is a patient asked for their their information? You know who they are, their medical card, their name, their family members. Is that or is it every clinic they go to? Every time they check in anywhere, they have to give the same information. These are all. Uh, examples of waste and lack of efficiencies that we have in our healthcare system. And I think it takes everybody. It isn't just someone with a title of, you know, performance improvement or clinical quality or, or any of these other ones, or, or just what you're doing every day as a nurse. It takes every single person looking at these things and sharing with others how we could do things differently to make it more efficient. Yeah. And then better outcomes will you mentioned lean six sigma and sometimes people have heard of it but they don't really know what it is so what what is that i know it's a series of trainings so you said you're a green belt in that um probably we don't necessarily know how how does that work how do you get into learning that so it's a it's a model of looking at performance improvement, and it was started in really Japan or really commercialized through the Toyota production system in making cars. And it is a series of looking at a variety of of waste and duplication and that to decrease the variability in the quality and the product that you're offering. For instance, if you take 12 different nurses that do one procedure, you've got probably 12 different ways to do one procedure. And if you look at, uh, you know, the ways in which we do it, if you can standardize that care and reduce the variation, the outcome is better. Usually better, it costs less to do it. It's more, um, you've got better quality metrics around it and all the way around, it's just better. So it's a, it's a, it's a, model in which to look at reducing waste and and redundancies to increase better outcomes. I think that's, when I think of that, I think of terms of uh, nurses that come into nursing with, um, you talked about perspective, the perspective that changes, if you tend to be somebody who's very detailed, um, you're somebody who notices. I mean, a lot of us just, I got to do this fully insertion and I grab 
you know, three, four different things that I'm going to use, but I don't think about um, are the things that I'm using cost-effective. So is it more cost-effective for me to put a cloth drape underneath the patient or to use a disposable? What are the costs for each of them? And um, many times we don't think about that, that you think, oh, well, you know, the the cloth is reusable, so I'll just throw it in the the laundry. Well, that means somebody has to come and get the laundry, take it, wash it, you know, whatever they have to do, uh, fold it and bring it back up. So how much is involved in that one thing to happen? And is it possible there's another way of doing that that might be more cost effective? And then you get into, okay, if we're doing all disposables, then how much does that cost us uh, in uh, pollution and um, different things like that? So. So there's there's a cost associated with everything that we do, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, the majority of individuals have no idea what the cost is for either a product or mm-hmm. the procedure and what's it's involved. And so when a when a customer or a patient or a family member says, "How much is this going to cost?" We don't have an answer because we don't really know. And actually, health systems have a hard time really understanding their cost system too, because of all the different payers and the reimbursement models, Mm -hmm. uh, depending on what people are going to pay for those services through negotiated contracts and things like that. Mm -hmm. But we're trying to be more transparent with that because we're being pushed by that by consumers. Consumers want to know. They want to know what things cost. And so um, I liked this phrase, be curious, not furious. So when you see something that's just (laughs) out of control, it's like, oh, my gosh. How did we ever get here? It's, it's, you know, be curious about it. How did we get here? Who made this decision? How can we change this? What's the process around it? I wonder what the cost of doing something different. And so if you have enough of that curiosity, you can really change a lot of things. You can make it known. You can, you know, you, you might find out that it's three times the cost to using the disposable tray versus, you know, something that's autoclaved in your own institution or vice versa. Or there could be a way of using a disposable tray that isn't necessarily plastic, that is never going to um, uh, decay. Uh, you know, could that same tray be made out of some sort of paper that could be disposable? So part of part of nursing, you know, I think is trying to think more wholly, right? Systems thinking. How, do, how does what I do affect other people in other departments and what they do and how can we work together because a system that works together is going to be much, much more uh, productive with better outcomes than that than if you're working individually with individual kind of siloed thinking. And so everybody should be thinking, how can I think as a system? How can I think of how does my little piece of what I do contribute to the overall organizational needs and uh, meeting their objectives? Because I, if everybody starts thinking like that, you'll see very quickly how nurses can really change the landscape of healthcare very quickly. I, this is a little bit off of nursing, but it was an experience <clears throat> that somebody told me about from IT where um, they were preparing these uh, reports for the board um, of the large organization. And uh, they would spend incredible, like two weeks out of every month preparing this particular uh, uh, format and and report that they had been apparently doing for who knows how many years. And uh, finally, one of the IT people asked to come to the boardroom to see how that particular piece 
of the report was being used. And when they got there, they basically like read the title of it and um, you know, passed one around, which nobody really had time to look at. They didn't really understand the report. They didn't really know why it was coming to them. And so they didn't really want it, but they didn't have any idea how much time and effort was going into creating this. So then that IT person um, was able to sit down with them and find out what do you really want? What is it that would be helpful in making your decisions? And by knowing that, they got rid of the very expensive report and went down to something that was much easier to create and much easier for the board to understand what they were looking at and be able to utilize. So all the way around, it just saved a tremendous amount. And you know there's a lot of nurses going into IT at this point. Uh, So that's a big advantage, too, because they, they are not just trying to guess what would be um, helpful for nurses, they know what's helpful. And then using the uh, company's uh, informational technology, they can make sure that what's being given to the nurses is most helpful and then also most helpful for whoever else has to use that information. Get rid of the stuff that is not helpful. For sure. You know, I've had opportunities going into many different uh, organizations and I always ask you know can you tell me why you do this versus something else and more often than not people cannot articulate why they do what they do and you know where it originated from kind of to your point and so just questioning uh, do we really need this is it being used how much effort how much time how much money is being wasted on this that nobody looks at nobody does and it's not even relevant to what we do today Yeah. Is there anything uh, as a last statement you'd like to put out? We've got about a minute um, for nurses that you really want them to get, really want them to understand about their own transformation. Certainly. So I think nursing is at the pinnacle of change within the healthcare landscape here. And we all know the current system is not going to sustain itself due to the expense and the fragmentation, misaligned payment system and growing consumerism. So we as nurses must think differently if we hope to survive and sustain excellence within this area, or we're going to be taken over by others who want to change the system from outside forces like Amazon and, and, and other outside entities. They are going into healthcare. <laughs> that's already started. <laughs> so as nurses, we need to think differently. We need to expand our viewpoints and a horizon on the whole care continuum, not just the area of expertise in which you work at. Uh, systems thinking, uh, nurses need to think is that they're running their own businesses because healthcare is a business, even if it's a not-for-profit. And uh, nurses have not typically been given these skills, so you have to look really outside of your comfort zone to hone in on some of these skills. And if you do that, and if you try to think differently and add to your experiences and knowledge and expertise, uh, we will collectively make a difference. Sounds great. And I can't think of anything to add to it, so I'm going to just leave it at that. This has been Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. We've been talking about transformational nursing with Dr. Kathleen Ziegler-Halverson. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.